Welcome to the New Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you are encouraged by this message by Pastor Tom Sturbins. So let me talk to you about one of the 50 reflections maybe that came out of time alone with God that just seems to fit the moment here this morning. Everybody say turn. No, loudly, turn. Where do I start? Okay, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Anybody surprised if you've been here for the last two years? Anybody surprised to hear 2 Corinthians 3? If, if you are surprised, you have not been paying attention. 2 Corinthians 3. Gabe, let's uh, verse 14, I think. By the way, I'm trembling and that we have a brand new disciple up there behind Pro Presenter this morning. One of our students here, uh, Gabe uh, Shelley. Uh, Sheely. Uh, Siri says Shelly all the time on my phone. And uh, man, I'm, I'm thankful. Here I am, Lord, and the children. <laughs> and, uh, but awesome young man, awesome job. Let's look at this. Now, this is mid-chapter where we've been studying one of the two places in Scripture. I can't get away from it. That transformation appears. And it's in the closing verses of this chapter. It's just a couple verses from here. This passage picks up a use and it makes a reference to a veil. And if you bother to do this study, you will find out that the way the Apostle Paul, who wrote this book, this letter to Corinthians, is writing to them. And, um, and he's telling the story of the power of encountering God through the Holy Spirit and the transforming metamorphosis, is that word, uh, makes something something entirely different out of what it started with, you know. Um, He tells him how that begins to happen. Now, the word veil here is used in probably three different ways. The veil over, and Paul plays on all of them. The veil, the big, thick veil that was in the Holy of Holies and in the tabernacle and the temple. And if you're new to Christian faith or not familiar with that, there was this central place where once a year, the very essence and presence of God would be enthroned. And that was called the Holy of Holies. Well, just outside that was this huge, we'd call a curtain, but it was almost a fabric wall, several inches thick, massive, massive. And it separated what we would say is the holy from the profane. It separated the presence of God from God's people, and only once a year, a high priest could go in, they would sprinkle the blood of the lamb on the mercy seat, which is what I was going to talk about this week, uh, pick up on some things Pastor Matt had to say last week. By the way, um, the, the, the voices into the life, is it not refreshing to hear that just over the, the, the rise of a generation, there are just so many voices in this church that are poised and ready and called and anointed and powerful. And if you haven't seen anything else in the last four weeks, oh my goodness, we have a lot to rejoice about at New Hope. Okay, so it would be sprinkled on the mercy seat, the blood of a lamb. And that way the high priest could come in and the presence of God would would not kill whoever came in there. Because holy, listen, holy without mercy is terminal. Holy without mercy. Where did he sprinkle the blood? On the mercy seat. 
Now, next week, I hope to come back and talk about why this picture is so important. Because the mercy seat, it said God was enthroned above the mercy seat, and the mercy seat was effectively empty, except for the blood sprinkled. Next week, we're going to pick up on why it's important, and we're going to revisit something from last September. Why it's important that the Lamb of God took a seat next to the throne of God. We're going to read about that from Hebrews and Revelation. And all of a sudden, when the mercy seat is not empty, but the mercy seat is occupied, that same book of Hebrews says, what was a throne of holy that would otherwise kill you has now become a throne of grace that gives you eternal life forever. And he says, I want you to come boldly to that throne. Come boldly, watch this, to the throne of grace, comma, where you receive what? Mercy and then grace. Everybody understand you got to go, you got to bypass mercy to get to grace. We're going to pick up that on that next week. But you need to understand that what's happening in the Old Testament is a shadow or foreshadowing of what will be fulfilled by the blood of the Lamb. The book of Hebrews is written to Hebrews, Jewish believers. And so they use these Old Testament models to say, listen, we used to sprinkle the blood of a lamb, but it doesn't need to be sprinkled. The spotless lamb, the son of God, has spilled his blood once and for all. The price has been paid once and for all. And it's not an annual visiting of the sprinkling of the blood. But he goes on to say, the same high priest was also the sacrifice. And it is a once and for all done thing. Now the mercy seat has someone in it. And when you approach the throne of God, you get to come by mercy. Woo! And he says, I want you to come boldly. Again, I got to stop chasing that rabbit because I was redirected as standing here in worship. Hear me. In that veil, but there was a veil that was hung to separate all of the ugliness of human sin from the purity of the holy presence of God. That's what it was there for. So let's, let, let, let's just hold that thought. Going on, but the people's minds were hardened. Now, Paul's referring to unbelievers or even Jewish or Judaizer believers who fail to believe in Christ. But the people's minds were hardened to this day whenever the Old Covenant is being read. He's making a, a referential statement to the past. The same veil, watch this, covers their minds so they cannot understand the truth. If you read the 13 verses ahead of it, you'll hear him talking about the veil. And again, I want to say, he's implying, and watch the language, the veil that was over in front of the Holy of Holies, the veil that was over Moses' face when he came down, and then the veil over hearts. And he merges all of these in a poetic fashion. So watch what happens here. So their minds cannot understand the truth. How many know, as long as that veil is there, our perception of who he is and who I am never happens. Everybody got that? that I, scripture's replete with that. And this veil can be removed only by believing in Christ. Watch what happens. Next verse, please. Yes, even today when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil and they do not understand. But whenever a person, say it, turns to the Lord. But whenever a person turns to the Lord. Now I've been living in this worship book that I'm working on called Unhidden, A Reason for Worship. And I landed somewhere, one of the several places while I was away, and we're going to get to it. But 
Whenever someone turns to the Lord, would everybody say, turn to the Lord? Loudly and with, turn to the Lord. Thank you, okay? The veil is taken away. Now, that's a very, very important statement. Let's go, uh, Gabe, to Luke 22, verse 32. We studied this six or seven years ago in a series entitled Eclipse, Failure is Not Final. Watch the language here. This is Jesus talking to Peter in front of all the other disciples literally minutes, hours at best, before, he, before Jesus would be arrested and Peter that night would deny him three times. P- Jesus is speaking to him, uh, and just in the verse before, he says, uh, Peter, I need to tell you, Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. Watch this. But I have pleaded for, in prayer for you that your faith should not fail. Now, Gabe, one of the things you're going to have to come to a determination on is that the New American Standard Bible is the only sanctified translation on the planet. And it is critical that we have the NASB because that word repented, when you have repented and watch, what's the word? Turn to me again. Strengthen your brothers, all right? When you have repented and turn, everybody say turn. Now, why would that require a turning? If 2 Corinthians chapter 3 is about transformation, and if the verses that follow, but when a person turns, can we jump back over, uh, Gabe, to 2 Corinthians 3? I'm giving him a workout, a baptism by fire this morning. 2 Corinthians 3, let's go back to verse uh, 15. Now, when, when we read, I want you to see what happens. By the word, I, I, I use the phrase parenthetical. It's a grammatical term that means there's a, a thought, a parenthesis in between, a thought stuck in between thought number one, thought number two, well, or, or if uh, this is your, your thought, and then he talks about, but in between he says, by the way, I want to say this. So yet even today when they read Moses and writings, their hearts are covered, and that veil they do not understand. Let's keep going, Gabe. <clears throat> but whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now what follows here is sort of one of those parenthesis verses. Let's keep going. For, he said, for, remember, for, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, there is liberty. Here we go. So, so, now remember, whenever the veil, whenever we turn, the veil is taken away. He picks up again here. So all of us who have had that veil removed, you see he's picking up the same line of thought? Or implied, all of us who have turned and had that veil removed can see and reflect The glory, what is that? The opinion of God registered, burning in my heart. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him. NIV just doesn't do the job for me right here. It says, but when we turn around, they are transformed glory to glory into His image. From glory to glory to glory. Isn't it wonderful to know, please hear me, that God never runs out of an opinion on you. Now, Next week, we're going to talk about why that word opinion is buried deeply in the the term translated glory and and why the whole disruption of the planet and the glory that departed from Adam and Eve was at the very moment they accepted the opinion of the serpent above the opinion of God. Beloved, did you know the glory 
that, that essence of God at work in us. And I'm sorry to, this is my first post-vacation pouring out. So I get latitude here today, all right? You see, walk away and say, damn, dude, it was all over the place. I, I know that. Hang with me. We study words here that are important. There's about 21 of them right now, and the list changes. One of the key ones is holy. Holy is the essence of all that is. And it's only as we approach him that we can become all that he designed us to be as we're transformed by the Holy Spirit from glory to glory into his image. And remember just before I left what I said that was just a fresh awakening that I've said for years that God is interested in creating the best version of you, but that is not true. God is interested in creating a version of him in you. Remember, Paul writes from glory to glory, and then he would write elsewhere. It's, uh, it, um, well, how can I describe? Well, it's Christ in me, the hope of glory. See, and as that glory and that opinion begins to radiate, you begin to stand in front of the mirror of God's word and say, I think I'm looking more like my father every day. Anybody got that? Beloved, that's what's happened. That's what transformation is about. Transformation is increasing our capacity for glory. This this stuff is just killing me. So when you turn, you turn. All of us who have the veil removed can see, and the Lord is the Spirit makes us more and more like Him or transform from image to image and uh, and transform from glory to glory into His glorious, glorious image. In chapter 22 of Luke, Jesus looks, and I, when I read this, I thought, turn, oh my goodness. And I found a couple of people who had a significant turning. And so I went to investigate their turnings with this hypothesis, that until I turn, I don't see the glory or the fullness of God's opinion concerning. I lose sight of it. Whenever I turn away, I lose sight of the essence of a holy God and his opinion concerning me. His word, like the Garden of Eden, takes on a second place to some other whispering, hissing influence in our life. It can be residue of shame. That's the one I fought with. Uh, that, That whispers in your voice. And all of a sudden, you begin to listen. And when you do, you turn away. And the Bible says you need to turn again. Watch what happens. He said, Peter, you are going to fail. Your life is going to be eclipsed. You're going to find yourself, the word fail is the word eclipse. And as we studied several years ago, it's, my first speculation is because that word is only used two times in the whole New Testament. My first speculation was, wow, this word's clearly changed meaning in the last 2,000 years until you go to the very next chapter. Luke 23, Jesus is on the cross, verse 45. Luke 23, verse 45. Jump over there with me if you will, Gabe, please. You're going to see Jesus hanging on the cross. Remember, this word that is pronounced eclipse or something like that, from which we get eclipse, only used two times in the Bible, and that's in chapter 22 and chapter 23 of Luke. So watch what happens here in chapter 23, verse 45. I think it's verse 45, where Jesus is on the cross, and it says, as he cried out, as he cried out on on the cross, and he breathed his last, somewhere as you, as you collapse all of these uh, gospels together, you begin to begin to see, there it is, okay? That, and Jesus cried out 
with a loud voice and said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. He died. Next verse, or next sentence. Now, when the centurion saw what had happened, said, certainly this man was innocent. Let's keep going. Back up. We may have missed it. Let me see. I promise it's worth the wait, guys. Yeah, it was in verse, it was in verse 45. But actually, uh, Gabe, can you go back to verse 45? Jesus is on the cross. He said, watch this. this be, it, and in the verse before it, it said, as he was dying, the sun was obscured for a period of time, several hours, and the veil was torn in two. Everybody see the word obscured? That is the word for fail. Now, beloved, I, wa- I want you to see something here. Because when, and, he, and Lord help me. Um, in 2 Corinthians 3, it says we won't see the full possibilities of God until we turn. We turn and say, Father, I desire your opinion more than any other. God's, God's word says in 2 Corinthians 3, at that moment, the veil is removed. How do we know that? It hit me that we need to turn because we've lost sight of God's glory, God's opinion, and we're looking and listening to another one, usually dictated by our circumstances. For Peter, it was your circumstances are going to tell you that you're a failure. But when you turn again, I want you to know that there's a provision being made for people who turn again. And the only other time that that word eclipse is used is on the cross where the Son of God says, I want you to know that I'm including a moment of absolute failure as a reminder of my intentions and what I'm doing. Please get this. Everyone listen. I know I'm bringing together a lot of biblical imagery, but it's why you need to read the Bible. It's amazing. It's just an amazing book of the poetry of the heart of God and His love transforming power that that wants to work in us. When we turn, it said, the veil is removed. On the cross, Jesus said, I want you to know that the moment you fail, what I'm doing from my side of the veil is I'm ripping it right in half so you can get back to me. Now, the only provision you need to do is the veil is gone. You just need to turn and start looking my way. Okay, Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. Now Moses was pastoring the flock of God. Now what brought me here was something that I added to this little journey on worship. And and if you don't recall, uh, perhaps I should have read the, the, the worship intro, if you will. But in that intro to worship, it introduces the Garden of Eden as the Garden of Holy More. Holy More. The Garden of God. The Garden, watch, in the Garden of Eden, worship was uncontested, unmitigated, and unchallenged until the adversary slithered in. And he says, listen, you don't know what you need to know. If you knew what you need to know, you would be. Beloved, here was a thought. I just sat crying early one morning on vacation. Isn't it amazing how the adversary was able to slither into that worship environment, watch this, and convince mankind 
that if they listened to them, they could become something they weren't when they were, they could be somewhere they needed to be right when they were already where they needed to be. In other words, if you're standing in the presence of the one who am the I am, the essence of be-ness, how many know there's no being that bees more than God? That's what holy is. Holy is the God, listen, who am what he am, who be what he be, who is what he is. He is not going to be any difference. He says, I don't change. I can't become any better anymore. I, what you see is what you get. Everybody get that? But what we see is an endless supply of worth, of holy, of substance. I found it absolutely amazing that the adversary slithers in to this environment, Jeremy, and convinced them there was someplace else they needed to be when they were already being all they need to be with the one who am the am. She said, dude, I am so confused. It'll come to you. Everybody get that? The essence of being is the definition of the existence of God. And yet the adversary can slither into my life and your life and convince, convince us there's someplace else we need to be in order to be what we need to be when we're already right where we need to be. But the good news is, I can turn again. <clears throat> we leave the Garden of Holy. It's 2,000 years before the next pointed conversation of worship is uh, introduced. Just indulge me for these reflective words I wrote. He was a failure, adopted and sovereignly placed in what was arguably the most powerful household on earth at the time, the house of the Pharaoh of Egypt. But at 40 years old, Moses was a failure, banished from the nation of Egypt, having fallen from the alleged pinnacle of earthly power for the next 40 years, he was relegated to the lowest of vocational existences, a shepherd for another man's flock in a wilderness that didn't have a name. Anybody ever found anybody ever found them in a place yourself that doesn't have a name? Is just so alone, so barren, so left out. God, I don't even know what to call this place. Anybody here ever been there? Raise your hand and talk to me, okay? <clears throat> and so he finds them. Relegated to that experience, a shepherd of another man's sheep in a wilderness of nothing. Meet Moses. And then out of nowhere, in the middle of nowhere, a voice. Bring my people out and worship at this mountain. So God encounters Moses to have a conversation about worship, but that's not where he starts. God's chosen people had lived in the land of worthless bondage, having been created to be worth more holy people, just like you, just like me. God could endure it no longer. God, worship is always the answer to worthless. Why do we focus so much on worship and encountering the Holy Spirit? Worthship, worth more, is always in the only answer to worthless. Watch this. 
But we know there is no dialogue to be had about worship apart from holy as the foundation. And so now without warning, a burning bush burn, a bush burns, a voice speaks inviting Moses, a worthless failure to have a worth more conversation about worship. It's no surprise that this conversation must take place on holy ground. Can I just leap ahead and tell you what I've been living in the grip of? The poetry of the heart of God. 2,000 years earlier, God created a whole garden of holy, Gerald. A whole garden of holy. It was abandoned, shriveled up, and died. Mankind left. 2,000 years pass, and that garden of holy, that place of worship, has been abandoned. But God says, I think I can fix this. But God, you don't have a garden anymore. That's all right. I got a bush. Anybody hear me? God says, I'll start with a bush. I used to have a whole garden of stuff, and it was all holy ground. But just give me a bush. Give me some place to start. Find me a failure who's willing to turn aside from the grip of their own perception and their own failure and turn aside and stand on the holy ground. Beloved, can I tell you it doesn't end there? The poetry of Scripture in Galatians and 1 Peter, it refers to the cross of Christ as the tree on which Jesus is hung. And so God shows up with Moses after the Garden of Eden, says, I'm not done. He meets him on holy ground before a burning bush, but the next opportunity for holy ground would not be on ground before a burning bush, but before a bleeding, beaten Savior who's hanging on a tree. And he says, this is the new holy ground. Everyone come. And as we already pointed out, it's no accident that he shows up on resurrection morning as the gardener in case we miss the point. In this passage with Moses, it is so identical to what God, Paul is writing about in 2 Corinthians 3 and the, what happens with Peter. Peter loses sight of who he is and who God is. And so it requires a turning again so the veil can be removed. Do you see how scripture merges this? The veil that hung between God and man at the Holy of Holies is the same veil that covers our eyes when we turn away from God. And God says, at your next point of failure, I don't wait for you to start tearing the veil in half. All you have to do is turn. Watch, Moses turned aside. And as you go on down, he asks two questions as he begins to be called. God said, bring them out to this mountain to worship me here. I'm getting worship back on the table in front of a holy God. And we're starting from holy ground where I can infuse holy into my holy people. Well, who are you? I am that I am. And you know what I've missed all along? Is Moses also asking another question. Who am I? Beloved, there's nothing that erases our understanding of who he is and who I am like my next failure. Because when that veil drops and you think, oh, 
I failed again. This has happened. Or this failure keeps hanging out there. There are people sitting in this room this morning. You had a failure 25, 30, 40, 10 years ago, months ago. You talked to God about it, but you haven't accepted the fact that he's torn it right in half. And you come back and that thing's a failure that blocks you from seeing the reflected glory and purposes of God. But God says, if you will just turn aside, stop and turn aside. How do I do that? According to Moses, it's worship. So here's my brief devotional. Matter of fact, I've said enough. Stand up. Spirit, Spirit of the living God. We only want to hear your voice. <laughs> Bow your heads, please. Close your eyes. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. May we turn aside. May we turn aside and see. Paul said, if we'll turn, we'll see that the veil is torn. The veil is torn. If we will turn aside, Father, may we know. Matter of fact, lift your heads and open your eyes. There's somebody here whoo, this morning that if, you, if I asked you to walk up here and describe your life, you'd say, Pastor Tom, You already described it. It's a place that doesn't even have a name. I'm not saying it's even for a majority or a large percentage, but I always hope I preach where Jesus preaches and that's to the one on the edge of the crowd, the fringe. But if you were to describe it, you said, I feel like I'm in a wilderness that doesn't even have a name. I don't know where it is and I don't know how to get any place from where I am because it doesn't have a name and I don't know how to find place. Anybody know what I'm talking about when you're in that place? But I want to tell you, as certainly as God burned through a burning bush, he has stopped by here this morning to say to you, turn aside, turn aside, turn aside. Stop everything and worship me right here. Beloved, please get this. The question of who God is and who I am is only answered in worship. Read Exodus 3. You see, God never even answers the question. Who are you? I am that I am. Who am I? God says, bring him to this mountain to worship me. What kind of answer is that? It's an implied answer. This says, if you really want to know who you are and who I am, and even more importantly, Paul would add, who I am in you, turn aside. Turn aside. Well, I'm a failure. I'm so glad that Peter turned aside on that one morning on the side of that big lake with an empty net. Can I tell you something? Get that point of poetry as well. His nets once again came up empty. Until you turn aside and see that God has not changed his mind about you. Listen to me. Every net of endeavor seems empty. Anybody can add that? You're already in the wilderness standing there with an empty net. Anybody get what I'm... I'm I'm blending metaphors, I get that. Nothing seems to work. I'm talking to the one of the few. Now bow your heads. 
I want to announce to you this morning the Holy Spirit has stopped by this place to talk to you. When you thought you were in a place without a name and that he didn't know your name, he stopped by here this morning. (laughs) And the gardener of holy has come to visit you. And right on the edge of your life, looking just, just over, is a voice saying, calling your name Moses, but it's not Moses. I must turn aside. I'm the only one looking around. If you're here this morning, and you're that one or two, I don't know, this is, brother, you have absolutely described how I walked in here. You're going to walk out differently. Would you just raise your hand?